Within the prayer time, let's just pray that ask God to make room in our hearts so that His Spirit can move.
We're going to pray so you can uh, have a seat or our altars are always open. But let's, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, on a day like today when we celebrate what we call Palm Sunday, I can't help but be reminded that you tend you tend to come into our lives in unexpected ways. That the ways that we expect you to show up are sometimes small or they're sometimes different than what we expected. And Jesus, as we move into this holiest of weeks, as we think about the steps that you took toward the cross, God, I pray that we will be reminded that everything, Everything about our faith and everything about how we are to live out our faith 
should be through the lens of this week. This is the culmination of the work that you came to do so that we could be with you. And it's not lost on me, Jesus, that you have entrusted that same kind of work to us. But God, I confess that when I look at this week, when I look at the suffering and the betrayal and the sorrow that you endured, I don't really love that you call us to take up our own cross. I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry that that so many of us, myself included, that we have many times turned this week into entertainment. And we've turned this week into production. And we have turned this week into um, what you've done for me. When you, you walked these steps so that the whole world would know how much you love us all. And so, Jesus, we come this morning with hearts filled with hope, knowing that the word Hosanna really just means save us. Will you save us? And we're begging that you will save us. Save us from ourselves, mostly. Save our world. And help us to be your hands and feet, as you've called us to be. To work alongside you in that mission. So God, we come. We come with open hands, open hearts, open minds, and open eyes to see the things that break your heart. And to give ourselves to you completely. This is where we surrender our lives to you, not just a, a portion of our week. We surrender our lives to you. And so, Lord Jesus, we come with gratitude and expectation for what you have for us and what you have for us to do. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? My friends, as we move into this week of uh, this holy week, we have peace with God because of what happened to Jesus on the cross and because of his resurrection. And so let me say to you, may the peace of Christ be with you today. Thank you. Will you please extend that peace to each other?
probably didn't help that I touched her. So. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm going to cut you all off a little short because we're having the potluck later and we'll have plenty of time to socialize and talk. And so my name's Garen, if I haven't met you yet, and I have no idea what I'm doing. Give me one second. I was just told you're next. Oh, I have announcements. Hey, awesome. Good Friday. Um, we will be joining together, uh, Pastor Pete from Thrive. Um, they attended our Good Friday service four or five years ago um, because they meet in the high school and they can't always have access to their space when they need. And uh, he said, we just love what you guys did. Would you guys join with us and help bring it to to thrive this year? And we're like, yeah, absolutely. So we're going to be celebrating. Uh, that sounds weird to say. We're going to be observing Good Friday together with some of our brothers and sisters from Thrive. It's going to be at Spruce Creek High School across the street at 7 o'clock. Um, if you've never been to a Good Friday service, I want to warn you up front, it is not your typical service. There's not a lot of singing. There's not a sermon. Um, this will be reflective. We will enter quietly and we will leave quietly. And about the only thing that will happen in between us entering and leaving is the reading of Scripture as we walk through the final hours of Jesus on his way to the cross. So I encourage you to be there. Um, this is a great opportunity. Here's a great opportunity as well. Easter Sunday. I'm hoping that you have been inviting your friends. Um, if the statistics are accurate, this, even more than Christmas, is the time when people will say yes to an invite. question is are we inviting so um easter sunday is going to be awesome we're going to have the um the classrooms out for that service which means we're going to need lots of space and we're going to need you inviting your friends to fill the space and here's what i want you to do i want you to do something called ministry by the seat of your pants are you ready for this have you ever visited a church and you walk in and there's no place to sit in the back. And so you get ushered all the way near the front as a first-time visitor, and you end up feeling almost like a spectacle, don't you? I want to encourage you. Let's move forward. Not that we want to exclude visitors, but when I visit a church, I usually like to come in and I slip in the back couple of rows. I don't want to go down to the front. I just want to observe. It makes it difficult when all of our regulars take up those spots. So 
join me up front in the Holy Spirit splash zone. The Holy Spirit technically only goes to about here. So y'all are all... No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just, just kidding. Visual joke for you online. Um, so Easter Sunday is going to be awesome. Along with that, baptisms. Um, I, I've talked to some people and they cannot for certain reasons. But if you've never been baptized... And you say, I want to take that next step. Talk to Pastor Jen or, pa- or, or me, and we will uh, make that happen. Historically, Easter Sunday has been the time when baptisms happen. A long time ago, hundreds of years ago, Lent was preparation for Baptism Sunday on Easter. And as people that were coming to faith prepared their hearts, the church decided, you know what? It's a good thing for all of us to prepare our hearts. And thus... Lent. So we are we have been participating in something that has been preparing hearts for baptism and purification and join into the family. If you want to be baptized, talk to us. One other announcement. Next Sunday, we will not be having Sunday school class. We're just going to have Easter service. And so if you weren't in class today, I wanted to be sure that that's uh, heard so that if you're watching online, or you watch it later on, you'll know. No Sunday school class next week. All right, thanks, guys. Just in addition to that, um, in our tradition in the Church of the Nazarene, um, if you have been baptized before, maybe as a child or um, as a grown-up, and maybe you walked away from your faith or from the church, and you have come come back to this relationship with Jesus, um, and you want to make a public declaration of that, we do, um, we don't rebaptize you, but there are some beautiful um, liturgies and, and scriptures and uh, things that we can do so you can publicly acknowledge, I'm back. I'm back and I want to walk with Jesus. Um, so that too, if you are uh, interested in that, then we want to um, welcome you to that. Um, as you know, we are a part of a church that, well, we come together in a lot of ways, um, but there is something that happens to our hearts when we live generously. Um, I was talking to someone this week about generosity, and I said, I wish that people knew the freedom that they could feel when they let some of their stuff go, including some of the their money even. And I know that that sounds crazy because we, um, we're all strapped, right? And, and yet, in those moments when we have probably felt the most strapped, it feels like that's when the Lord speaks to our hearts. Do you trust me? And that's not a manipulation. I don't want you to hear it like that. What I want you to know is that God does something truly in our hearts when we live like this. And we become generous people in every way. In every way. And that's a beautiful gift that he gives us. 
Um, so as, um, as you know, there are multiple ways that you can give financially to the church and support the ministry of this church and also the ministry of our denomination across the board. And um, we support missionaries, we support hospitals, we support schools. Um, we are in 160-some countries. And so what we do here. It really affects literally the whole world. And so just know that when you give, it makes a big difference. And so thank you for your generosity and thank you for living lives of generosity. So you can give in, in multiple ways. And, and y'all know, you know, back there online, you know, how, however uh, it works best for you. Um, well, let's move into this time of scripture reading and preparing to hear what the Lord has to say to us today. Um, I don't think that we have the prayer for understanding up on a screen, but um, I, I would love to pray that for us. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we'll hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. So I'm going to start in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, um, I'm going to read the first couple of verses, and then I'm going to jump down to um, to some other, actually, is it 119? Yeah. I think it's 118, actually. <laughs> 118, not 119. 118, 1 and 2, and then um, I'll read the, the last few verses of this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Say that with me. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. These gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter there. I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Please, Lord. Please save us. Please, Lord, give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God shining upon us. Take the sacrifice and bind it with cords on the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. And then in the, the Gospels, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, we'll read the account of the triumphant entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, 
The Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Praise God in the highest heaven! The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The week of his crucifixion, Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem. The events that follow will literally change the world. He rides through the crowd, not on a white horse, but on a borrowed donkey. The people bow down, shout Hosanna, and wait for his next move. The crowds not only place palm branches at his feet, but they also place on his shoulders their own expectations of a conquering king who will overthrow Rome. Jesus will not only disappoint them, he will disrupt them and will shatter their assumptions about power and justice. You're invited into a moment of reset and discovery because the events around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are the absolute answer to every longing heart. May God give us eyes to see. Thank you. Thank you, Drew. See what? Yeah, y'all have been talking to me all morning. I'll give you a break. It's Palm Sunday. We wave palm branches. We sing Hosanna and we start the Holy Week. And I think... um, So this week's been a really busy week for me. And as I was preparing, I started thinking, oh my goodness... My week is nothing compared to this week in history. Um, So I want to tell you what happens from the triumphal entry to the cross because I think we hear a lot of these stories and we don't realize this all happened in a really short amount of time. So what was going on? Um, We have the triumphal entry, which is what we celebrate today. The next day we have Jesus going into the temple and clearing the temple because the religious leaders have used the house of God as a way for economic power instead of as a way for worshiping God. And then we have Judas who meets with the Sanhedrin secretly and he plots to have Jesus arrested. A lot of people think that he didn't do that because he wanted Jesus to die. He was kind of forcing Jesus' hand. It's like, well, if, if I back him into a corner, Jesus will show himself to be Jesus. 
Meanwhile, Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples. He's praying in the garden. He's praying, God, I want this cup to pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And you can hear the Lord's prayer echoed in that. Not my will, but your will be done. He's betrayed by Judas. Peter cuts off the servant's ear. Horrible aim, Peter. Bless his heart. Oh, my goodness. He makes me feel better about myself. He'd be the bad basketball player in the, in the church league. So I guess I like that. Um, Jesus is at the center of an illegal assembly because it was forbidden for them to assemble at night. And that's exactly what they did to have him condemned to death. But they can't condemn him to death because you can't, as a Jewish person, condemn someone to death during the Passover. So what they did was they got the Roman Empire, the enemy, to do the dirty work for them. And they take him to Pilate. And the Romans have ordered the execution of Jesus. Meanwhile, Judas, realizing what he's done hangs himself. The crowd that once was praising Jesus, yelling Hosanna, is now yelling crucify him. Pilate gives them a choice and says, do you want this Jesus who claims he's the king of the Jews, but innocent, I mean, but like not a threat, or Barabbas, this religious zealot who has been arrested for killing people and trying to overthrow the Roman government, and they say, give us Barabbas. That's the kind of person that we're looking for. So he's, Jesus is condemned. He's beaten with a cat of nine tails, which if you've ever seen one of these, it's horrific. The, the Romans, not to get too into it, but it was these leather straps that had rocks and glass tied into it, and they had perfected the art of a way to snap, attach, and deflesh someone. But they knew how to do it in a way as not to kill them, just to bring him this close. He's got a crown of thorns placed upon his head. They beat him. He's carrying a cross up the hill to Golgotha. Most people say, based on what they know, a Roman cross would weigh about 165 pounds. So you have this Jesus who's been up for 36, 48 hours. I didn't even mention Peter betraying. And Oh, yeah, I missed a lot that happened this week. But you have this Jesus carrying this cross up the hill to be crucified by a Roman soldier at the hands of the Romans because the Jewish leaders had finally found a way to get him. Jesus dies. The sky goes dark. They say it was as dark during the day as it is at nighttime. The veil was torn in two. I've never read the works of Josephus, but he was someone who lived during the days of Jesus, and he writes that the temple veil would have been at least 15 feet high and four inches thick. Could you imagine fabric four inches thick being ripped, not from the bottom, from the top, showing the people that the work of Jesus, the work of the cross had been done and Forevermore, people had access into the Holy of Holies to talk with God and walk with God. And restoration is possible now. Earthquakes happen. Graves are opened up. Dead people are raised from the dead when Jesus dies. Could you imagine what that's like? 
crucifixion is happening, the sky goes dark, and a couple of hours later, your loved one that you buried three months ago is back in the room with you, and he's like, I don't know what happened. I was dead, and now I'm alive. Then we get to Black Saturday. Or Holy Saturday. It's called both things. The disciples are hiding. Hope is gone. They don't have the knowledge of Easter Sunday to live with. They just know that everyone, everything that they have lived for for three and a half years is gone. Buried in a borrowed tomb. All is lost. And although we, as Paul Harvey would say, know the rest of the story, and we know Easter, Holy Week, and especially from Friday to Sunday morning, we choose to live in the tension of what that feels like. That's what we've been doing during Lent. Preparing our hearts, getting ready to grapple with what it must have felt like for all hope to be lost. I'm thankful that we know next Sunday we will celebrate that early that first morning, Mary went to the tomb and the stone was rolled away. But for just a moment, we live in the tension of the pain. So this week, I want to encourage you one more time. If you haven't started, start today. Except it's going to be harder. I've been saying read one chapter, John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Read one chapter a day so that you get it done in a week. Your goal is to read John 13 through 17 every day this week. I want you to sit in this, this passage, these final words of Jesus, before we come to the Good Friday service. I want you to think of the nuances. Like Jesus serving his disciples with his hands, washing their feet. And then serving the world as his hands and feet are nailed. I want you to, to sit with the thoughts of Jesus offering the bread and the juice to everyone at that table, including Judas. And think about Jesus between two thieves offering that same forgiveness to the criminal next to him on the cross. I want you to read... John 13 through 17, through the lens of what you know is coming on Friday. So that on Friday we can fully experience the depth of sorrow and that will help us fully experience the joy of the resurrection. Okay, you with me? Good. I want to, I want to show you something. Oh, y'all are in... You are in the, the inner circle. Other than my wife, no one has seen this. You ready? This is my razor. <laughs> Drew, if you're online, Drew just said it just got weird. 
This is my razor. I love my razor. It's a Harry's razor. Um, Harry's organization. Um, if you're listening to our podcast, I love your stuff. Send me free stuff. It works for stars. Maybe it'll work for me. Who knows? Maybe I'll get a big box of Harry's supplies. It's orange. I picked orange Wiken because of the, you know, because of the Denver Broncos. Yes, it was specifically picked orange because of the Denver Broncos. It fits well in my hand. It's nicely balanced. You know, some of them are really light, and it's like, and some of them are really heavy. It's like, this is like, I, I highly recommend this razor. I love it. It glides well. It's got five blades. It's smooth. I love this razor. Now, the blades don't last forever, and to be honest, it does such a good job that instead of rinsing it out, I have to kind of clean it out and bang it out, but it does a great job. I love this razor. It cleans my face, makes it nice and smooth. This razor is intended for my face. And my face only. Now, when I got married, I noticed that my razor blades didn't last as long as they did when I was single. Married men, have you ever had that experience? And one day I noticed that my razor wasn't by my sink and instead it was sitting on the bathtub. You know where I'm going, don't you? So I went to Jen. She said I could, she said I could tell this, although she may say that I have it totally wrong. But I, this is as I recall. I went to Jen and I said, Jen, have you been using my razor? And she said, I was out, so I used it once. Is that a problem? Now, the smart guy would have said, No. But men, help me answer the question. Is that a problem? Yes, it is a problem. I had to explain, this razor is my razor. It's for my face. There are certain things that we share, and there are certain things that we don't. I don't share my toothbrush. I don't share my underwear. I don't share my razor. This is my razor. It's meant for my use. It's meant for... My hands. And it's not about being selfish. It's about purpose. I bought this razor for a purpose. I purchased it to be used in my hands. For my face so that my image would be what it needed to be. So in John chapter 17... I don't have the words for you. I just want you to hear them. John chapter 17, verses 17 through 19, Jesus says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world... I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Now what does it mean for Jesus to say he sanctifies himself and he wants them 
to be sanctified. Well, it kind of goes back to my razor. It's special. It's got an intended purpose. I could use these blades to cut a lot of things, but I bought them for a specific purpose. When Jesus uses the word sanctify, it's the word hagiazzo. Everybody say hagiazzo. I know you'll never remember. If you would have written down the words that I give you, you would have a lot of words. I don't know that they would make any sense, but hagiazzo is the word that's used here when Jesus says sanctify them. Hagiazzo. And what that means is set them apart for a holy purpose. I've got a plan for them. I've got a use for them. And I don't want them used for anything else. They're mine. They belong to me and I have a purpose for them. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Sanctify your name. Set your name apart for a holy purpose. Hagiazzo. I don't want your name to be used in slang, in cursing. I don't want your name to be used flippantly. Your name is holy. Sanctify. Hagiazzo your name. And then in 17 he says, Hagiazzo these disciples. Set them apart for a holy purpose. I don't want them just doing anything. I've got a plan for their lives. I've got a purpose for their lives. I want to use them for the way that I intended, for the way that they were created. And then he says, and I sanctify myself in verse 19. So what does it mean for Jesus to sanctify himself? What does it mean for Jesus to say, I'm setting myself apart for this holy purpose? Well, we didn't read John 17 which is why I'm asking you to read it at home. But I want to pick out a couple of verses that lead up to where we are so that you can understand a little bit of what I feel like Jesus is saying when he says set them apart. What does it mean to be set apart? What does it mean to hagiazzo Jesus and to hagiazzo us? Well, when Jesus said, I sanctify myself, I think in verse 1 of chapter 17 says this. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. What does it mean for Jesus to be set apart for a holy purpose? It means that the goal of Jesus, the goal of his life was to bring glory to God. It wasn't for himself. It wasn't so that people would say, wow, that dude's a great rabbi. Wow, I should follow him. Did you see the miracles? Nope. The goal is always, I want to bring glory to God my Father. I sanctify myself. It's not about me. Don't look at me. You may see me, but I want you to see the image of the Father. I want to point people to a loving God. I think setting himself apart, Jesus was referring to maybe what he said in verse 4 of chapter 17 when he says, I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me. When Jesus said he was sanctifying himself, he was hagiazzo, it meant, God, I know your heart. 
I, I know the work that you have for me to do, and I obediently do it. I don't do it halfway. Partial obedience is an obedience. I do it. I do the full. Your will be done. I want to live my life exactly as you have done. May the work that you have for me be done. I think when Jesus says, I sanctify myself, I hagiatso. I, I think in verse 6, we get a glimpse of what he means. When he says, I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they've obeyed my word. I've revealed you. For Jesus, sanctification meant revealing God to everybody that was placed in his pathway. Everyone. From the disciples to the Samaritan woman to the Pharisees to Lazarus to Zacchaeus to Nicodemus to Mary Magdalene to the demoniac to the woman with the bleeding issue to John the Baptist to Jairus and his dying daughter to the people in the temple, to the people in the city, to the people on the road. It didn't matter who was in front of him. His goal, if he was going to be sanctified, if he was going to complete the mission of God, if he was going to do the work of the Father completely, if he was going to be hagiazzo, set apart for a holy purpose, he was going to show everyone, everywhere he went, the love of God. You want to know what God looks like? This is what God looks like. That was the mindset of Jesus. I'm going to show you visibly what an invisible God's love looks like. Which is why he could talk to anyone. Which is why he could heal people. Which is why he could have compassion. Which is why he could be in turmoil when loved ones die. Which, this is what it meant for Jesus to sanctify himself. And if it's what Jesus meant for him, it's probably a good place for us to start, don't you think? So when Jesus is saying, Father, sanctify them through your truth, your word is truth, God, set them apart for a holy purpose. Sanctify them by your truth. Now, Jesus had already said he is the way, the truth, and the life. Sanctify them through your truth, your word, your word, logos. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God sanctify them through my life. May they see the Father through my life. So what does sanctification look like for you and for me today? It means that we are also to live lives that bring glory to God. We are also to live lives that say, I want to do your work and I want to complete it fully. We are also to live lives that say, anyone that comes in my pathway is, the, is my next mission. Jill Briscoe says, my mission field is wherever my two feet are. Because people are watching, they're reading you. One of my wife's favorite artist groups, which I don't like, but I like this quote, Lin, Linford Detweiler says, we're all writing the story with our lives, whether or not we ever bother to pick up a pen. Do you realize you're writing the story with your life? 
Do you realize that there are people that are reading your story? Whether you invite them to or not. So the question becomes, when people read our story, whose story are they reading? If people were to pick up the book of your life or my life, would they be able to read plot lines of God the Father's love? I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about being a good person or not swearing or I don't shoot anybody. I'm not talking about that. I'm asking, does every part of our lives write a story of God's love for others to read? It goes back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. There's knowing God and there's knowing God. People that know God are people that you assume, yeah, they probably go to church and um, they probably are decent people. But God is just kind of a subplot. God is maybe the activating agent that propels them along in their story, but it's still their story. Those are people that know God. But the people that know God, the people that know him, well, they're writing a different story. The people that know God understand that God's love is the storyline that propels every storyline of every believer and that it's not about their glory it's about his glory it's not about their story it's about his story it's not about who i want to hang out with it's who do you have in front of me it's not about what do i want to say it's what do you want me to say i want to be sanctified set apart for a holy purpose people that know god Say, God, my point is to bring you glory. My plot line is insignificant compared to your story of redemption. When we live our lives with this kind of humility and trust, then we will live and walk in obedience to God and will do the work that God has for us to do, which means individually, yes, it also means collectively, because the Christian life was never meant to be lived in isolation. From the beginning, from it is not good for man to be alone, God intended for community. And so it means not only do you have a setting apart for God's work, but your work that God has you do, and my work that God has me do, if we are this body of believers, somehow is intricately involved, and we have a mission that we are called to do if our church is going to be hagiatsod, set apart for a holy purpose, which leads us to, if we're on mission together, then we'll know it, and if we're not on mission together, then we'll know it. But here's the thing. can't sanctify ourselves. I want to be sure when we're talking about, I want to do your work, I want to do what you, what you say, I want to say what you... It's not about us doing more. It's about us being more. Being more of who God created us to be. We can't sanctify ourselves. We can only obey. 
So if it's not us it's our, that's sanctifying, who, who is sanctifying? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5 reminds us, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify Hagiazzo. May God, the God of peace, set you apart for a holy purpose. May he sanctify you through and through, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is the sanctifier. We are the ones being sanctified. How are we being sanctified? Hebrews 10 puts it this way. For God's will was for us to be made holy, which is the word hagiazzo. God's will is for us to be set apart by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all times. Under the old covenant, the priests stand and minister before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all times. And then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand, and there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made hagiazzo, those who are being set apart for a holy purpose. We aren't sanctified and set apart because of anything we can do, although God calls us to do things. It's only the obedience of the shed blood of Christ that sets us apart. So you have God the Father, through the blood of the Son, active in our lives through the Holy Spirit. So what's our role? First Peter puts it this way. Instead, you must worship. That word worship actually is the word hagiazzo. You must be set apart. You must worship. You must set apart Christ as the Lord of your life. So, in a sense, we do sanctify something. We set apart Christ in our lives for a holy purpose. And if someone asks about the hope that you have as a believer... Always be ready to explain it. So I've been struggling this week with how to close. You know, a lot of times I have questions for you. But I wasn't able to get to questions because I kept getting hung up on one question. Do we really want to be set apart for a holy purpose? Or do we simply want some holy power to help us achieve our purposes? Do we really want to be set apart for a holy purpose or do we simply want a little bit of this power so that we can continue with our purposes just with a little bit of Jesus juice on? It's the last Sunday of the Lenten season. Yes, we celebrate and we sing Hosanna, but we are still in this season of preparation where we, we look at our state and we say, God, am I where you want me to be? Am I everything that you've called me to be? Is there anything that I need to surrender today? Is there any layer of this onion of my life that you want to peel back so that we can work on, so that your Holy Spirit can transform another part of me? 
And I don't want to skip over this last Sunday. Now, I promise you, next Sunday, it's going to be high-octane, high-energy, Resurrection Sunday celebration, full stop. We're going to get there, I promise. But for one last Sunday, I don't want to miss the chance I don't want to miss the opportunity to give you the chance to say, I surrender one more time. So, so let me ask you, is the razor of your life getting dull? I guess the first place to start is, have you allowed yourself to be placed into the hand of the Creator that wants to use you for a holy purpose? I guess that's step one. But we know on this life that it's very easy to get distracted. It's easy for things to get in the way. It's easy for our lives that are supposed to be set apart for a holy purpose to get used in different ways and for different reasons and the blade starts to get dull and we get this sort of spiritual razor burn and it's not that we're bad people, it's just we're not living up to what we were called to live up to. We're not allowing the one who bought us and purchased us for a holy purpose to use our lives in the way that it was created so that we could display the image of God to a world that needs it. So is your razor, is your spiritual razor getting dull? You know, when, when my razor gets dull, I love this. You know what happens when my razor gets dull? I don't throw it all away. I just get a new one. I think there are some of us that are afraid of the altar because we feel like, well, that's going to that's gonna make everyone think that I'm a sinner and I'm evil and I probably voted for the wrong party and shot someone. No. No. The altar is a safe place where we should all feel like we can say, God, I feel like I'm just a little bit dull. It's not that I'm walking away. It's just I've been a little distracted and I want you to sharpen me. Give me a fresh blade. Give me something new because I want your image to be forefront in my mind. I want to be exactly what you want me to be. Maybe it's time to get rid of some hurts and some habits and exchange them for a little bit more of God's grace, a little bit more transformation. I wonder if there's some of you that just need a new spiritual razor blade. I think of, uh, when I think of exchanging blades, it makes me think of John 15, which you'll be reading this week, wink, where it talks about the vine, how sometimes the vine needs to be pruned. Not, the vine, not that the vine is being thrown out, it's that we're being pruned so that we can bear more fruit. The goal is transformation, and as we, trans, as we are being transformed, we begin to bear more fruit, which means we need a little more pruning. So this is a process. This isn't a one-and-done thing. I'm good. This is a today. Will I allow you to use me however you see fit? There's a famous saying, the good is the enemy of the great. 
I've been thinking about that a lot this week. I think there are a lot of us, myself included, that are really good raisers. We've just gotten a little dull. And maybe instead of trying to keep using the same system and keep focusing on the same distraction, maybe we need to just get a fresh start. So I'm going to invite you to pray. I'm going to invite you to come down to the altar because I feel like that's a great place. But I know some of you can't. But as we head into this final week, with all that we heard that went on in the life of Jesus, maybe it's time for us to just focus a little more. Surrender once again. So I'm going to be down here and I'll, I'll be praying for us and I invite you to join me just to say, God, I want more of you. And then we'll come to the table. God, I thank you for this church. And I don't mean the building because the building is just the building. But God, you've assembled this group of people. We are the church. We are the agents of reconciliation that you have chosen for this time, in this place, in this neighborhood. God, I thank you for my friends that I get to do ministry with and that we get to focus on you and grow more like you and be transformed. And God, there are some of us that are firing on all cylinders and there are some of us that are lagging behind. And Jesus, all of us need more of you. Whether we are doling and we need a new blade, we need your, your word and your spirit to cut us and divide divide our hearts so that we can have everything that's not you stripped away. There's some of us that are fully, completely surrendered and we still need you to prune us. We can be used completely for your purpose and it doesn't mean that we don't need this transformation and this renewal and this constant obedience and surrender and obedience and surrender. And God, that's what you taught us. You showed us in Acts that it's all about you move and we respond. And when we respond, you move. And when you move, we respond. And when we respond, you move. And God, we want to do this with you. But for us to keep pace with your spirit and where your spirit is moving, we need you to sharpen us. We need you to make us all that you've called us to be. We need you to set us apart for a holy purpose. We know that that's what you've planned. God, when Jesus prayed in John 17... I, I'm so grateful that he didn't just pray for the disciples, but he said, I don't even I don't just pray for these, but I pray for those that will come afterwards. God, your son was talking about us. Sanctify us through your truth. God, I pray that this week will be a week like no other, that we will surrender more and more of our lives. God, I pray that you will help us to not just let you move into part of our heart, but that you will do a complete renovation. Take over. Our lives are yours. 
Do with them as you will. Thank you that you are the God who set the example. Thank you for your Son who came and showed us what it looked like to be set apart for a holy purpose. And I pray that you will help us to look more and more like your Son as we follow the way of Christ. Jesus, we can't do it on our own. We can't look like you. We need your Spirit. We need this activation in our lives that comes from your Spirit speaking to our spirit and training us and teaching us and transforming us and making us more like you, Jesus, so that we can bring glory to you, God. We give you freedom to do what you want. Unleash your holiness in our lives, we pray. Amen. This week, I had the privilege of being um, back at my seminary, and I was in meetings there, and together we came to the table, and Dr. Rowell, um, as, as he served us, he read all of the the liturgy, and, and that's just a big word, that's just a reading, basically, for communion, and it's been a long time since we've done that. Usually, it's it's one of us sharing a personal story, or or you know talking a little bit about um, what Jesus endured that night. But there's some beautiful language, and so I'm gonna read it. And I know that that's a little odd for for this crowd, um, maybe not for all of us. The Communion Supper, instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is a sacrament which proclaims his life, his sufferings, his sacrificial death and resurrection, and the hope of his coming again. It shows forth the Lord's death until his return. The Supper is a means of grace in which Christ is present by the Spirit. Thank God. It is to be received in reverent appreciation and gratefulness for the work of Christ. All those who are truly repentant, forsaking their sins and believing in Christ for salvation are invited to participate in the death and resurrection of Christ. We come to the table that we may be renewed in life and salvation And be made one by the Spirit. It's in unity with the church we confess our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. 
And so we pray, Holy God, we gather at this your table in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christ healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners, and established the new covenant for forgiveness of sins. We live in the hope of his coming again. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, we gather as the body of Christ to offer ourselves in praise to you and thanksgiving. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these, your gifts. Make them by the power of your spirit to be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world until Christ comes in final victory. In the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this, my friends, is the body of Christ given for you and me. When you come and you take and you eat this, remember and be thankful. And this This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Drink it. Drink all of it. And be thankful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to your table with gratitude. And we come knowing that this work that you did Is for the whole world. And so, may we become your body. May we be Jesus to those around us. Make us one. Unify us in your spirit. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
stand with me. Let's sing our benediction and then let's continue the table. And, uh, and if you brought something, awesome. If you didn't bring something, that's okay. We've got plenty. And if we don't, eat what we have and then go home and eat something else. That's okay. So, we sing... Sing with me. We sing hallelujah. Let your kingdom come in our hearts, in our homes. Let your will be done as we go in your name. We shout and we proclaim. Let your will be done in us. We will see you Easter Sunday. Now let's continue eating at the table. Help me stack some chairs and get some tables. Bye, y'all. If you're online, you can still make it here. Come on.